listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. <laughs> 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Josh Silverberg. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to a new show of The Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 the LI News Radio Network. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, you can listen to the Worldwide Sports Radio every single week by going to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com or you can go and check out our app on iOS, which is WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We are a sports radio show. We talk sports and we're going to talk today about everything that's going on with the Mets, the Yankees, obviously the Knicks who didn't look very good last night. The Nets, who are playing very, very good basketball, buying their team, but they're, they look very, very good. And we are definitely going to get into the New York Jets. And I, I think there's a lot of Jet fans here in, in New York, Long Island, that are really going back and forth on what they should do as far as the quarterback situation. Sam Donald right now has been with the New York Jets for three years. He's been fighting injury year in and year out. His first year, he had ankle problems. He was out for about four or five games. The second year, he had mono in the beginning of the season. He played the first game against Buffalo and then was out for five games because of the mono situation, which is the first time I've ever heard a quarterback or anybody get mono at the age of 20 years old. Only the Jets, man. And um, obviously, the third year... Uh, he had back problems, and he had, I think he had a broken back. He had a fracture in his back. He was out for a significant amount of time. That's why Joe Flacco was their starting quarterback. But um, the whole thing right now with the New York Jets is this draft. Uh, you heard about San Francisco. They went to Zach Wilson's draft day, I mean the pro day. And a lot of the thoughts after that was San Francisco was trying to move up to get Zach Wilson. And everybody that knows a little bit about Kyle Shanahan's offense. It's predicated on running first and then throwing. That really helps the young quarterback out. You see Jimmy Garoppolo when he came to the San Francisco 49ers from the New England Patriots. His game was prototypically short passes and use the running game. That's what the Patriots like to do. Now you look at Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson probably has the strongest arm in this draft class. He, he actually uh, actually has 75%, what is it, 75%? 71. 71% uh, throwing ratio to 20 yards or more. Uh, you look at Zach Wilson, and, and a lot of people can compare and contrast, and they're going to be doing this for years, knowing that Sam Darnold, he was the quarterback for the Jets for three years, and because the Jets are thinking about turning their backs on him, and I, I, I really look at Sam Darnold to be a quarterback that is growing at the position, and being that he's 24 years old, he's going to be 24 at the beginning of the season, you would think that the Jets would hold on to him and see what they have as a quarterback. But because in the next two years, the quarterback classes in the draft are not very strong, very, very weak, the Jets have to make a decision that they might eventually regret. Now, again, Josh, when you look at the Jets and where they're going as an organization, uh, hiring Robert Sala, Joe Douglas, this is his real, I would say, first full season where it comes to free agency and the draft. A lot of people trust him because of what he has done in the draft. His first year with the draft, he added Mackay Beckham. He added uh, Denzel Mims. He added Ashton Davis. He added a lot of good, strong pieces to the puzzle of where the Jets believe they're moving 
in the very, very near future. But the quarterback position with, obviously, Sam Donald, a lot of people believe that Sam Donald, in the last three years, usually you know what your quarterback is in the first three years. But because of the Jets' coaching with Todd Bowles and, obviously, Mr. Kukawise, Adam Gase, uh, the quarterback guru, everybody thought that he was going to help Sam Donald grow. He has made Sam Donald worst as a, as a quarterback. So, Josh, you look at the situation with Zach Wilson, Sam Donald. Everybody's talking about it. ESPN to CBS to NBC to Bleacher Report. Everybody is talking about what should the Jets do. Should they hang on to Sam Donald and hold off on signing or making a move, making a trade for Deshaun Watson or maybe making a move for Russell Wilson from Seattle? Or do they draft a quarterback like Zach Wilson, a young, up-and-coming BYU quarterback, that a lot of people believe is the next Patrick Mahomes. So, Josh, when you look at what everybody is saying, there's so many arguments, so many opinions, so many facts. Where do you think the Jets should go? Well, the report came out um, yesterday that Steve Young was on, I forget what show it was, and you know Steve Young has connections to BYU. He was the quarterback there, so he knows Zach Wilson very well. The report that Steve Young said is not only have the Jets talked to Zach Wilson many times, they have now talked to his family numerous times. They're trying to bring his family into the fold. He's now looking for houses in New Jersey. So clearly Zach Wilson is very confident that he is going to get drafted by the New York Jets. Clearly the 49ers offered that draft trade package to the New York Jets. I don't care if anybody said no, they didn't. There is no way that the 49ers did not call the Jets about that. And the other thing is, too, you talked about the Sam Darnold situation with what he can be and the weak draft classes there are the next two years. You also have a $25 million option that is going to kick in. Now, if Darnold fails and, again, the New York Jets decide to stick with Darnold, he flops, then the only problem is going to be going forward. Then where do the Jets go now at quarterback? They're stuck with Sam. They didn't take one of these quarterbacks. I mean, they're stuck for the next. This sets them back for another five, ten years. You've got to let Robert Sala, Michael, uh, Michael Floor, and Joe Douglas, you've got to believe in the decision they're making in this process, okay? They've come this far already. Let them make the call. Clearly, Zach Wilson is going to be the draft. Everybody is actually now saying the draft is starting at three. That's what people are now saying, that yes. Lawrence is going one, Wilson's going two. What happened district? You're hearing Mac Jones, which I just don't understand why San Francisco would trade all that those assets for Mac Jones. You could have gotten him at nine or ten. You didn't have to trade all the way up to three to get him. But something came out this morning literally that said that everybody's picking Zach Wilson, but there are some within the organization that still believe Sam Donald is the guy. I like Zach Wilson. I understand why the New York Jets would go that route because when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, that helps your salary cap. You could build around that. A $25 million option in Darnold, and if he doesn't play well, the Jets are a total mess then at that point because, like you said, the next two draft classes, there's nothing. Zach Wilson would go number one in this draft if not for Trevor Lawrence, of course. That would be the – I'm surprised at how Justin Fields is is not getting any love from any of these teams. Justin Fields, he's slipping, and he's slipping really, really low. Like, you're talking now in the teens at this point. Well, he's slipping really, really low because what the Jets are already come out and said that they're – every single person that you've been hearing from the Jets organization is Zach Wilson is the guy. Yes. They're talking about bringing the family up and looking for houses for them. And and Zach Wilson is a family guy. The reason why he didn't leave Utah, the reason why he didn't go to Alabama or any of the top schools that were looking at him, and he was a three-star quarterback coming out from high school, a lot of people said that there were three or four 
Division I teams that were very, very interested in Zach Wilson, but he wanted to be closer to home. He's a church kid. He's a kid that wants to go home on Sunday, spend time having Sunday meal with his family. So he's a big family guy. So I understand. And he has family already here in yes. the area. He does. He has yes. family here. I think the more interesting thing, Errol, is what the Jets do at 23. Mm-hmm. That's the more intriguing question because now you're hearing reports that Caleb Farley, who's the top, one of the top corners in this draft, is slipping, obviously, because of his back issue. But I will say this. If everything checks and clears and he's there at 23 – I think the New York Jets, that's going to be a guy they look at. Obviously, offensive line help. They're looking at the kid from Oklahoma State. Trevin Jagan, he's the guy that they're looking at. He's the guy that they're intrigued by. Leatherwood. Well, that's Alabama. I think they should wait until the second round. They've got to get a corner. They've got to get a cornerback. This draft is full of corners. So you don't have to draft a corner in the first round to get yourself a good corner. I don't imagine Patrick Sertain is going to be there. I don't imagine J.C. Horn is going to be there. But if, like, an Asante Samuel Jr. is going to be there, I think that's a guy that's going to intrigue you. You should love him, Errol. He's a Florida State kid. I mean, if anybody should love him, it's you. Well, just because I'm a Florida State fan doesn't mean that I like the Florida State players going to my team. But, uh, I mean, if you look at the big picture of where the Jets are going and what they're trying to figure out, you have to decide on who your quarterback is because that's what most football teams build their team around. The question is, when you look at where the Jets are, are they ready to win team now or two, three years down the road? I think two, three, two, three years down the road, the Jets could really put themselves in a very good position, being that they're in the AFC, which is a very strong division now. You look at the AFC East, uh, it used to just be the New England Patriots. Now you have Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills. Miami's building something too, man. Yeah, they have two, and a lot of people believe that's where yeah. Deshaun Watson is heading. And, and then obviously the New England Patriots that... Missed a lot of players last year to COVID-19, decided not to play. They're going to be a better team this year. They brought Brown back. Their offensive line is going to be stacked this year. And some of the weapons that they added in the offseason, even defensive weapons that they added in Judon, is going to make the New England Patriots a team to beat in the AFC as well. I love what the Miami Dolphins are doing. I really do. I think they're the team, when you look at it, they're building for the now and for the future. Now, I understood the trade that they did with, with San Francisco. I mean, they got a haul of picks back. The weird thing was I didn't understand the Eagles trade. That was the one that kind of threw me off a little bit because it was kind of wonky is you get all those picks, but then you trade the, some of the picks back to move up to six. Now, look, they're probably going to draft Jamar Chase, right? That's who Miami's going to draft, I would think, because I don't think Sewell's going to be there. Jamar Chase is going to be a stud in this league, especially, you know, him and Devontae Parker with, with Tua, but that defense, too, that Brian Flores is building. I know you're a big fan of Brian Flores. I think he's one of the best coaches in football. He is the really best, uh, to me, the best young coaches in the NFL. And then, you got, and then you got Buffalo's doing their thing, man. Sean McDermott's doing their thing, and they're doing whatever they need to do. I mean, they just got Emmanuel Sanders in mm-hmm. free agency, so that was a nice pickup for them to go with uh, Stephon Diggs and those guys, and Look, Buffalo's going to be a force to be reckoned with for the next couple of years. I don't know about New England because it's – who's the quarterback? It's Cam Newton. Well, I don't know what Cam is. I have to see what Cam is when there's a full he, – He had no weapons. No, I agree year. with you. He had no weapons last year. Uh, Amendola, uh, obviously uh, – not Amendola. I, I can't believe Edelman. 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 I, I always mess up with Amendola and Edelman because <laughs> – Because they're both so similar. <laughs> similar. Yeah. Even Wes Welker was a similar player with What about New Chris England Hogan? Patriots. You like Chris Hogan too? No, I didn't. for the Jets. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't like him on the New England Patriots, and I didn't like him on the Jets. Great cross player. And I was the kid that the punt returning for them now, too. They're basically the same thing. <laughs> I think the fact that the Jets, I mean, the, the New England Patriots didn't have anybody last year to throw to, that affected Cam Newton last year. His, and, and Cam Newton's still an MVP. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the league before he hurt his shoulder. Is he the same quarterback when he was the MVP, when he went to the Super Bowl against the uh, Broncos? No, he's not. He's not the same quarterback. But he's still a reliable quarterback. And a quarterback, if you put players around him, they can succeed. 
Now, I understand when you look at the Jets and where the Jets are and what the Jets are right now, Zach Wilson is going to be a developmental quarterback. We don't know how long it's going to take him to be a star quarterback, if he's going to be a star I would, quarterback. I would sign a veteran first. Sign a veteran, let Zach sit on the bench for a few games or a year or so, and then let him get settled. Because the New York Jets have made this mistake in the past where they take the rookie quarterback and they start him right away. It's enough of that already. Let's get a veteran in here and let Zach Wilson learn while we're doing this. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into the New York Mets. Well, they signed their big man. I I thought it was a little outlandish and a little bit crazy. They signed Francisco Lindor to a $341 million contract. When we come back, I'm going to argue why it wasn't (laughs) a good move for the New York Mets here on the Weekend Crunch. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Guys, if you don't know, download the World Wide Sports Radio Network app by going to iOS, which is WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have great articles. We do live shows throughout the week. We have a great, great lineup of shows. If you like wrestling, you like MMA, you like, you like baseball, basketball, football, golf. We have shows throughout the day with all the different sports. We have great talent throughout the board from all different parts of the country, from Florida, uh, obviously San Diego, Texas, New York, Michigan, all over the country. So definitely... Check out our network. The articles are great. We have great, great talent throughout the board. I want to get into the New York Mets. And before we get into the New York Mets, I'm driving over here to AMF. Uh, There is so much traffic coming all the way on Southern State. I was very, very surprised. And there's so many accidents on the Southern Southern State. I get a little bit lost when, when people are trying to stop on the other side and look what's going on. The cops, they have their sirens. They close up certain areas. And here's the thing. The problem that I see with Long Island is uh, if, you get, if you get stuck on Southern State, I, I think uh, you, you can't get a tow truck on Southern State. So there's so many different things that you have to do and deal with to get your car off of Southern State. And as what happened today, I saw a car on Southern State. They couldn't get the car off the road. It was stuck in the middle of the road. There were cops blocking up the road. So it took us... Uh, probably an hour and 15 minutes to get here to AMF Lanes because I live in Smithtown. It was absolutely crazy. So please, guys, if you get stuck, pull off to the side of the road. Try to get off the highway before you call anybody, a tow truck or anybody, because the only place that PBA, the only people that could take you off the road is the PBA, the police. So it's so crazy. It really is. But I want to get into the New York Mets and with the New York Mets, the Mets with a new owner, Steve Cohen, I think that where the Mets are looking right now to build their team is through stars. Now, they have Pete Alonso, who speaks very, very well about the organization and where the organization is going. The fact that he took away and he, he completely got rid of his uh, social media. It's all about trying to concentrate on team and teamwork. I think Pete Alonso is a very, very good leader. But this past week, I I completely look at Pete Alonso a completely different way. I'm not saying Pete Alonso doesn't have the right to speak. 
He has very much the right to speak. I think he's the next captain of the New York Mets. But this whole Francisco Lindor thing, uh, the fact that Francisco Lindor wanted a 12-year, $340, 360000000 million contract from the New York Mets. And I think the 12 years is a little too much, especially being that he's 27, going to be 28 uh, as the season progresses. In November, he'll be 28 years old. I think he's in the prime of his career. But usually what happens to players, especially shortstops, when they turn at the age of 30, 31, 32, things start to go. Now, obviously what we've seen with Derek Jeter over the years, Derek Jeter was one of very few shortstops that stayed healthy for a significant amount of time until he was like 36, 37 years old. But as you know, Nomar Garciaparra, look at him. And when he turned 28, 29, his career was practically over. Then we talk about Alex Rodriguez. Yes, he was a guy that did steroids. Alex Rodriguez, when he turned about 30, 31 years old, he was the third baseman for the New York Yankees. He probably would have had a shift to third base at some point with the New York Yankees if he didn't, if he didn't shift early in his career. So I understand why the Mets are trying to bring superstars here. Francisco Lindor is a great player. He's a great five-tool player, sensational player. Is he worth... $345 million for an 11-year contract? The answer is no. I don't know if anybody's worth $340 million. But with professional baseball and with there's no salary cap, a lot of people will argue, hey, if you have the money, spend it. You heard what Josh said before we went to break. It's not his money, so why do I care? But this is the problem. This is what got the Yankees in trouble all those years at certain aspects in the 2000 era. From 2000 to 2007, the Yankees were trying to bring players in, buy players. It didn't work. Carl Provano being one of them. They brought him in. They signed him to a five, six-year deal. What happened? He got hurt. He ran his car into a hot dog truck or something like that. And his career was practically over for the New York Yankees. And they paid him a lot of money at the time. I think it was close to $100 million. So Francisco Lindor hasn't played one game for the New York Mets yet. They made a trade for him. They traded away four prospects, four young players. I don't know how good they're going to be. But then you give him a $340 million contract where you don't even know if New York is the place for him. I think they should have waited for at least another year, see what they have as a player. Because in New York, we've seen great players come here and not succeed. So, Josh, I know you're a Met fan. I know your thoughts were, is it's not your money. Who cares? But that was a big contract for the New York Mets. Look, they're going to take care of superstar players. That's what the New York Mets are going to do. And this sends a message all throughout Major League Baseball. I was actually speaking to Ryan Hickey about it. Of course, he does his uh, morning show on the, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And Ryan and I are on the same page with it. It was an exciting decision for the Mets to do this because I understood where they were coming from. The point of this is, is this. The New York Mets paid a guy. Was the contract a lot? Oh, absolutely it was a lot of money. Was Pete Alonso right to speak out about what it was worth? Probably not. But look, he's a leader of the team, and he's somebody that's going to stick up for the players. He's a players' union guy. That's what he is. He wants players to get paid, especially in this market where nobody's getting paid. And the thing about it is, I know you brought up Carl Pavano and those guys are there. Totally different guy in Francisco Lindor. I, I know what you mean by you're going to constantly pay guys after guys after guys after guys. But the Mets really didn't do that this offseason. I mean, they gave Trevor May a nice deal. They gave James McCann a nice deal. They spent deal. $650 yeah. million dollars this offseason. And, and you know what? They were 18th in the majors in payroll. Now they're top five. This is where they should be. They're a New York market. They're a big market. Steve Cohen came in here and said, we are going to be a big market team. Because that's what we should be. We should not be a small market payroll. This was unacceptable the last few years. And he admitted to it. It was totally unacceptable and just downright disgraceful how the Mets payroll was a disaster. 
You pay Francisco Lindor, he's 27. I don't see a problem in giving this. Because the thing is, if they let him walk and you make this trade, it's going to look bad on both sides. Because you know everybody's going to say, LOL Mets, this is what they do. They trade their prospects for a guy. It stinks for one year. That's something Cohen's trying to change the narrative of this. He's trying to change it that way. And look, Steve Cohen's got a lot of money. The, 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 so the, it makes it all right. Over all these years, everybody was taking shots at the Steinbrenner family, and the Steinbrenners have taken a step back. They're not overpaying players. Yes, they paid Garrett Cole $326 million, but he was the best player on the market as a pitcher, and they needed to add a pitcher. The Mets didn't need to add Francisco Lindor. They didn't. They had a superstar player in Pete Alonso. They needed a guy like him. They need a 5-2 player that can do everything, not just on the field, but they need more leadership off the field. That's been their problem for the last couple of years. Their clubhouse has no leadership. I mean, you're talking Cespedes and these guys are no leadership. They just do whatever they wanted. They didn't care. There was no accountability. The New York Mets are trying to change the narrative of that as their franchise. They're trying to bring in more leaders into this clubhouse. And this was a needed transition. I think bringing him in when Carlos Carrasco is healthy, this is something that the Mets need. They need fresh faces. You can go back and forth. You can tell me whatever you want. $341 million is a lot of money to pay a guy that has not done it here in New York yet. I would have liked to see him start the season, see what he's doing before you overpay a player that we don't know if he could play in New York. We don't know if he can succeed in New York. And he played in a small marketplace like Cleveland. It is a small marketplace in a very weak division. He's going to the NL East right now. An NL East that is compacted with good teams now. The Marlins are a better team than they were the last two years. Derek Jeter has it right. And you look at where the team is. The Nationals are a good team. They have a great pitching staff. You have the Philadelphia Phillies. They're a very good team. They have a very good pitching staff. I wouldn't staff. say very good team. They're oh, a good team. They're, they're a good team. They're a nice team. Their bullpen and that pitching staff outside of NOLA is still very weak. Joe Girardi is the, the manager of the team. And he has found ways... Over the years with the New York Yankees, with the weak bullpen, uh, even not, with, not even the weak bullpen, the weak starting pitching and starting rotation where everybody said the Yankees pitching is very weak and brought that pitching staff to the top ten in the league. So, Bryce Harper's still there, though. Yeah, Bryce yes, Harper's I, still I, there. I, I, he's still, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan What, of because of one year of bad play with Philadelphia? With Philadelphia. No. The, yes, it was one year. No, with, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of his because there's just something about him that when you see it, look, when you look at him, his first year he leaves the Washington Nationals. How is it so coincidental that they win the World Series? when he's gone. How is it that that happens? Well, they, and, they, and, it, and not only did they win, but they won a playoff series even without him. He's a 205 career playoff hitter. I mean, that's something like that when he's supposed to be the leader. And 50 at-bats, he has five home runs, it's 205. That's just an unacceptable. Well, that's why the Nationals let him walk. Well, hold on one second. You overpaid Francisco Lindor. That's he's fine. a career 263 hitter in the playoffs. I'd rather him than 205. Well, 205. <laughs> two, Never win a playoff series He has either. the same amount of home runs as Francisco Lindor that's does fine. at the same amount of bats. That's in fine. the postseason. And Lindor's Same been amount of series. RBIs. So what he's been to a World Series. It wasn't only because of him. I know. He had a very good pitching staff. But has Harper ever won a playoff series? No. Did he, he ever on very, no, he very, did. very talented Nationals teams. And, and has Francisco Lindor ever won a championship with all those good teams with the Cleveland Indians? He's won a playoff series. But though. he's never won a championship. But the point of it is this, though, is that you look at it. How come the Washington Nationals decided to not pay Bryce Harper? Why did they just let him walk? Again, I'm not the Nationals. I'm just saying. And I'm they, not Philadelphia they either. They pay everybody else. They paid Strasburg. They paid all these other guys. They're they going to pay Soto, but they didn't want to pay Harper. My so, arguments to where the Mets are and where the Yankees are are two different spots. When you look at the Yankees, the Yankees did not look good in their first game of the season. They lost in extra innings. I do not like extra that. inning rule now Ugh. going into the 10th inning. You put a player at second base. That gives other teams an opportunity to play the game a little bit differently. There are a lot of managers that have 
worked on this and trying to figure out what would be the best options if you put a guy at second base with no man out. I think that if you put a man at second base in the extra innings, there should be an automatic out. The fact that the major leagues didn't do that, it puts teams that are very not, they're not good hitting teams, not small ball hitting teams. And what I mean by that, they're power hitting teams. If you're a power hitting team, you have a worse opportunity to try to knock a ball in. So I think that when you look at the Yankees and you look at the situation they are, it's going to take a little while for them to figure things out. I do believe Glaber Torres is going to have a sensational year. He I better. Think, he's on my fantasy team. I think he will. <laughs> I, think, I think the fact that where DJ LeMayu is, he got an $80 million, $90 million contract. Uh, the Yankees extended him. I think he was a, a very big pickup for the Yankees. I think he wanted to be here. And getting, to me, a top three, top four hitter in the major leagues, for the money that they got him for, they got him for a steal. You talk about Francisco Lindor. Francisco Lindor was hitting 250 last year, 260, and he got a $345 million contract. DJ LeMayu, yes, he's a little bit older. He's 32 years old. I think he's five years older. But DJ LeMayu never got a $345 million contract. He never got a contract. Like, uh, I think it was 341. He didn't get a contract like that. More so, consistency, too. I think that's what DJ LeMayu is the most consistent hitter in the baseball. He's the only play, he's the first player in history to win a batting title in the American League and the National League. Has Francisco Lindor do that, done that? Has he so done it's it? It's not about that with awards. It it's, is it's about more, that. No, it's not. Because uh-huh. if it were about awards, Jimmy Rollins won an MVP. Does that make Jimmy Rollins special? So what mean, has Francisco Lindor done to deserve $340 million? Go look at his career numbers. He's a career 290 hitter. He's won multiple gold gloves. as an all-star six times. You just said awards gloves. don't matter. They don't matter. Uh, so why does he deserve $340 million? Because he does million. more than stuff on the field. He does stuff off the field Oh, and DJ well. LeMayu doesn't? I never said he didn't do that. So why, why is Francisco Lindor getting a $340 million age, contract? Age. Age. DJ LeMayu, three, four years ago, won a batting title. Yes. He was up for an MVP a couple of years ago. Why didn't he get that money? Why the, did he get a 300 didn't want to give it to him. It wasn't the Yankees. It was on Colorado. Well, Why didn't he get well, that money? Well, look at Colorado. They made a dumb trade with Nolan Arenado. I mean, you're really going to compare the two? I mean, That has nothing on. to do with like, it. You, you can't come in and argue your points. Awards mean nothing. When there has been more success in the time that he's been in a league in DJ LeMayu than Francisco Lindor. Francisco Lindor won nothing. He's done nothing yet. He needs to win championships to get a 300. Now you're going to say Mike Trout. Mike Trout's been the best player in baseball since he came into the league. Mike Trout should get that contract. I think $400 million is a little overpriced. So $420, $430 million. That's how much the playing rate is for superstar players in baseball. When there's no salary cap, you could give what you want to give. That's what it is. I think a $340 million contract from a guy that has never played in New York, has we don't know what he is in New York, is a little bit crazy. But the Yankees need to figure things out because Glaber Torres, who could be extended, being that he's 23 years old, you saw with Acuna, with the Atlanta Braves, he got an eight-year, $100 million contract. contract. No, it's not because he he decided to take the money at the time of His agent is a moron. That's what the problem is. Uh, He he didn't have to take it. His agent is known to be a moron. He didn't have to take it. He he didn't, but his agent forced him to take it. That was the problem. But can I just say one thing about the Yankees quick? In regards to what it is that I view with the Yankees, look, I said the Yankees are a very good team. Opening day, right? It's the first game of 162 games, right? It's not a, it's, it, you know, it's not a, it's a marathon. You're booing Giancarlo standing in the first game of the season, okay? But yet, this is the thing that bothers me is Aaron Judge had almost a, as bad of a game as Giancarlo standing. To me, in my eyes, Aaron Judge is like Derek Jeter to the Yankee fans, and Giancarlo Stanton is the Alex Rodriguez to the Yankee fans. And it's ridiculous because they both had terrible games, but one got booed and the other didn't. I mean, come on. That's uh, egregious. Fans have their fan favorites, as it's you see. It's ridiculous. Well, 
the Met fans, look at what the Met fans, Pete Alonso speaks, everybody listens. Pete Alonso says that Francisco Lindor can, should get a $400 million contract. The Mets, two days later, give him a $340 million contract. So when players speak, sometimes owners listen. Sometimes when the fans speak, owners listen, a.k.a. Woody Johnson. When so Woody Johnson trade, uh, stand in? First of all, he has a no-trade clause. But that's what it is. Yeah. He has a no-trade clause. If he didn't have a no-trade clause... I wouldn't say they have to trade him. He's proven that he can hit in the playoffs. He hit six home runs last year in the playoffs for the New York Yankees. He was one of the hottest uh, hitters in the playoffs when the Yankees were in the playoffs. So I don't know what Giancarlo Stanton is because we don't know if he can stay healthy. When he stays healthy, he can hit 40 home runs and 130 RBIs. But again, we look at Francisco Lindor. We know Giancarlo Stanton can hit in New York. We don't know if Francisco Lindor could hit in New York. And what happens? Well, he didn't hit in New York. He hit in San Diego last year. I'm just saying, if Francisco Lindor can't hit his first year in New York, not only Met fans are going to attack ownership, um, a lot of people, a lot of analysts, a lot of different people are going to say, well, why did they give this kid a $340 million contract when he never stepped on the field, the city field, to show that he can well, hit he New York? He looked great in spring training. Well, that's spring so, training. That's, that's not fine. in the regular season. Different Carl, season. You know, I know. Jim Carl Stan looked great in spring training, too. Everybody thought he was going to have an outbreak year. No. It happens. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. And, and the Yankees are stuck with John Carlos Stan. That's just the only thing that bothers me. It's why Yankee fans treat Aaron Judge like Jeter and they treat Stanton like A-Rod. That's just the thing that bothers me. Well, because Judge is their guy. Judge came from I know, the Yankees I, farm system. I understand that. but John Carlo is not the Yankees But guy. Judge had just as bad of a game as Stanton did. They believe Judge is the voice of the New York Yankees. Just like Pete Alonso is the, the voice of the New York Mets now, the same thing with Aaron Judge. When Aaron Judge speaks, fans listen. When, when Aaron Judge speaks, ownership do, listens. Do you boo? No, do I don't you, boo. Yes, I'm saying there's no. I don't boo either. There's I don't no point. boo. I don't boo anybody. What is booing going to help? The only team I boo in New York is the Rangers. <laughs> That's the only team I boo in New York. Well, Everybody else, I don't hate the uh, Mets. I'm a Yankee fan. I, I don't hate the Giants, even though I dislike ownership and, and what the Maras have done the last. The Mara has done the last couple of years. I think Tish needs to get involved more with the team, but we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get into some New York Nick conversation. What do the New York Knicks do right now in the second half of the season? They're not playing good basketball. Maybe out using Julius Randle early in the season has affected the New York Knicks moving forward in the second half of the season. And also, are they going to start using Obi Toppin more? Are they going to start using Emmanuel Quickly more? That's what I want to see. I want to see the young players for the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets are playing good basketball, adding LaMarcus Aldridge, adding, obviously, Mr. Ali Uper, and you know who I'm talking about. Blake but Griffin. Blake Griffin. So when we come back, we'll get into some New York basketball here on the Weekend Crunch. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back here on the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Remember, this show is brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Guys, if you don't know, download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, the application store, WWSRN, or Android, in the Play Store, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Josh, I know you have a bunch of animals, you have a dog, and I say this in the nice, kind way when it comes to the New York Knicks. 
I, I look at the Knicks and I look at Tom Thibodeau and I look at what he has done over the years with all these organizations that he's worked for. When you talk about, obviously, the Chicago Bulls, the five or six years they were a dominant team uh, with, uh, obviously, Derrick Rose and, and, and all the different young players that they had and what they brought up. And they had a lot of good players that played. They were all-stars. Derrick Rose was an MVP uh, over there for five years. He was an MVP candidate almost for five seasons. He won an MVP. But then he hurt his knee. And I think it has a lot to do with Tom Thibodeau and how he coaches and how he pushes players to a brink. And I look at the New York Knicks in the, going to the All-Star break. Julius Randle was one of the hottest players in the NBA. He was a great, he's been a great three-tool player. And what I mean by that, he's a great passer. He's become a great passer. He averages 5.6 assists a game. Rebounds, he averages between 9 and 10 rebounds a game. And he averages between 22 and 23 points a game for the New York Knicks going into the All-Star break. Ever since the All-Star break, and it's been almost a week and a half, two weeks, he's shooting poorly. He's shooting right now under 37% on the field. Going into the All-Star break, he was shooting 48% uh, field goal percentage. Now, right now, he's, he's shooting 36 37%. He's not the same player he was going into the All-Star break. And I know a lot of people are going to look at some of the young players and why Tom Thibodeau is not playing Obi Toppin as much as he should be playing. Emmanuel quickly is only playing 19 to 20 minutes a game right now when he's averaging 12.6 points a game. And right now, to me, is the rookie of the year. And I want to hear about LaMelo Ball because LaMelo Ball is going to miss almost the rest of the season with his broken wrist. And I don't care if he's averaging 15 points and seven rebounds and six assists a game. That doesn't matter. Because to me, when you look at a rookie of the year, you look at an MVP candidate, they have to play at least... I would say 75, 80% of the games to win that award. If the season were to end right now, I would give it to LaMelo Ball. But because there's about 28, 27 games left of the season, you can't give that to LaMelo Ball if he misses the rest of the season. And that's why I look at Emmanuel Quigley. The fact is right now, the Knicks are not getting enough points in the paint. Emmanuel Quigley has helped the New York Knicks in the paint. This is a guy that draws fouls. He can get to the hole at will. R.J. Barrett has been a, a very good player since he's come into the league at getting to the hole. His three-throw shooting has been a little bit better this year. I think he's shooting 67% right now for the New York Knicks. Last year, he was shooting 60%. So R.J. Barrett has been better at the line. But I think when you look at the big picture of where the New York Knicks is, they're getting tired. And this has been the problem of Tom Thibodeau and his coaching over the years. Now, I think with the young players like Obi Toppin, you have to give him consistency on the court to figure out what you have as a player. They were going to move up at 23 or 26. They traded with the LA Clippers at 27, 28 to move up to 23 because if they didn't get Obi Toppin, if Obi Toppin wasn't there or they were thinking that he was going to get drafted by Cleveland as the fifth pick, the Knicks would have moved up at 23 or 24, wherever they were drafting, to get Obi Toppin. It wasn't going to be Emmanuel Quigley. Emmanuel Quigley's been the better player. Emmanuel Quigley has been the steal of the draft for the New York Knicks. And the Knicks didn't make any moves at the trade deadline like a lot of people thought the Knicks should have done. They had an opportunity to get a big man. Obviously losing Mitchell Robinson for a significant amount of time. You missed him to a broken wrist. Now he's got a broken foot. We don't know where the Knicks are going to be before the season's end. And right now, it doesn't look like they're going to squeak into the playoffs the way they're playing in the Eastern Conference. So, Josh, you look at the Knicks. 
And we will get into the Brooklyn Nets and how well they're playing and the acquisitions they've made in the last couple of weeks. Where do you see the Knicks going? Do you like what Tom Thibodeau has done since the All-Star break? Not really because, again, it's the rotation problem. I mean, the Minnesota game was a disaster. That's one that they need to look at and say, boy, we should have won that game. How did we lose to the Minnesota Timberwolves? And then even worse was Anthony Edwards' comment at the end of the game said that they wanted R.J. Barrett to have the ball in his hands, and, of course, he missed the shot, Barrett, which is kind of a shot in the head to R.J. Barrett. Now, having said that, you brought it up best. The rotation for Tom Thibodeau is this. He overworks players. They're going to get tired. The rotation he has is awful. He puts Alfred Payton in for way too long. He takes guys out when they're hot, like if Alec Burks is having a good game. He pulls him for Alfred Payton because of defense. It makes no sense to me. I love what Tom Thibodeau has done. Look, I think the Knicks could still obviously make the playoffs. I think they're going to be more in line for the play-in kind of round, which is... Fine. I, I don't know if they win that, if they're still a lottery team. If they lose that play-in round, I'm not entirely sure. I know you said it best earlier in the year. You want the Knicks to get a lottery pick anyway because they still need more players on this roster. And that's a known fact. But the thing of it is this. Tom Thibodeau needs to understand that when you overuse these guys, and especially guys like Julius Randle and some of these players that have never been used to this amount before, it's going to overwork them. R.J. Barrett, you're seeing. I mean, Julius Randle's had a terrible last few games. He's been awful. And it's because he's been overused, I feel like. And, of course, he didn't have the All-Star break to relax. He was in the All-Star game. Right. So... I think Obi Toppin needs to play more. Uh, you know how I feel about him. I want to see a little well, more. Well, hold I, on. I th- hold on one second. I remember you telling me off air that Julius Randle is the superstar. The Knicks yes. have to over-exude Julius Randle, which I told you they should be sitting Julius Randle. He shouldn't be playing more than 38, 36 minutes a game. Obi Toppin should be playing between 19 and 20 minutes a game, just like their young player in Emmanuel Quickly. They're not using him enough. Obi Toppin looked very, very good last night in the first half of the game. And then they took him out for a significant amount of time, and then when he came in, he was cold. They need to play these kids. They're young. They have the legs under them. Obi Toppin is one of those older rookies, 22 years old, when he came into the league. You have to use these guys. He was supposed to be the most ready guy. That's what they said coming out of the draft, right? He was the most NBA pro ready. But why not play with Frank Nilakina more? Because he plays defense, right? And unlike Alfred Payton, I feel like Frank can actually give some offense into the game than Alfred Payton does. This love affair that he has with Alfred Payton drives me nuts. He is not a good player, Payton. He's a nice defensive player. He does nothing else. He turns the ball over a billion times. He tries to drive to the rim more than any point guard on this roster, other than, of course, Derrick Rose, and it just never works. That's what drives me nuts. He likes to play the vets over the kids, and I think Debido needs to get that out of his head. I understand you want to win this year, and you want to bring the team to the playoffs, Mm -hmm. but this year, trying to build for the long term as well. Something like this is not going to help going forward, I think. I think when you look at the big picture where the New York Knicks are as an organization, and I, I think the Knicks are moving in the right direction. And losing I, Mike Woodson, too. I th- Well, Mike Woodson's going to be there for the rest of the season. No, he's done. He's already very in Indiana. Surprising. He's already recruiting in Indiana. They let him go. Very, very surprising. But I don't think that has anything to do. Right now, Tom Thibodeau is a good defensive-minded coach. You don't need Mike Woodson coaching the defense. Uh, you really don't. They have Payne over there running the offense, and then they have the defense right now run by Tom Thibodeau. 
I think in the big picture of where the New York Knicks are, they have to start using the younger players because even if they don't squeak into the playoffs, and right now they're a playoff team, I think right now they're the seventh seed, and they're right now slowly but surely falling out because Boston's right behind them. They were the fourth last week. Yeah, they're the fourth, and now they're the seventh seed. (laughs) And right now Indiana, who added Karis LeVert, Karis LeVert is going to be playing for the rest of the season. They're 21 and 26. They're three games out of making the playoffs. And I don't trust the New York Knicks moving in the right direction as well as they have playing the right young players and putting them in the right position to win. Quickly is a great player. He should be playing 25 to 30 minutes a game, Absolutely. not 19 to 20 yep. minutes a game. I think he overexudes these players, including guys like Julius Randle. Julius Randle is 27, 28 years old. He's going to be asking for an extended amount of money next year because he was an oh, all-star. He's going to get year. the max, though. He'll get. The I max. don't think a max. I, I think because close to a max. He'll he's 28 years old next year after the season because he has yeah. one more year left on his contract. He'll be 29 years old. I don't know if the Knicks are going to give him a maximum deal. I think they'll give him a four-year deal yes. worth about $28, $29 million. That's fair too. But again, if you overexude these players, they're not the same players in the second half. Derrick Rose wasn't the same player in the second half of the season when he played for the Chicago Bulls. And this has been a huge problem for Tom Thibodeau's offense. Carl Anthony Towns over there in Minnesota. He was great on Tom Thibodeau's offense for the first two years in the first half of the season. In the second half of the season, he wasn't the same player. He was fighting injury. These guys, their legs are getting caught under them, and they're not the same team in the second half. And that's what scares me about the New York Knicks. As far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, the Nets are just playing unbelievable basketball. Before the James Harden trade, the Brooklyn Nets, I think, were the fifth seed. Since James Harden... The Nets have only lost six games, even without Kevin Durant. They've lost six games. And the Brooklyn Nets right now have the best record in the Eastern Conference, and some people say could be the best team in the NBA. Now, again, James Harden is a guy that I want to see in the playoffs. I want to see him play better in the playoffs. In the last couple of years, last year was the only year that I can honestly say that James Harden showed up throughout the playoffs and played well. Every single year before that, James Harden is a career terrible playoff player. And Chris Paul, when Chris Paul got hurt a couple of years ago on the Rockets, they weren't the same team without Chris Paul. James Harden has been the leader. I think right now, if the season were to end, I would say James Harden is in second place to win the MVP in all of the NBA. I would say the Joker, Jokic, to me, is the MVP because of what he's done with the Nuggets and and how well the Nuggets have played, become an all-around player. He's a great defensive player. He's averaging 28, 29 points a game. He averages 10 rebounds a game. He's a great blocker, and he's a passer, unbelievable passer for a big man. I think he averages 6.2 or 6.3 assists a game, which is amazing for a big man. So he's a fantastic all-around player, so I wouldn't give it to James Harden. But what James Harden has done for the Brooklyn Nets is incredible. I didn't like the move. I think they gave up a lot. For James Harden, they give up a lot of draft stock. And if they don't win a championship in two or three years, the Nets are going to be attacked. You, everybody remembers Billy King. And Billy King, when he was there for five years, he was being attacked after he made that trade for Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and the Jet. They only went to really won one playoff round against the Chicago Bulls, and they didn't do anything after that. And then before you know it, within two or three years, those players were gone. Kevin Garnett went, went somewhere else, and, and Paul Pierce wasn't the same player. He retired, and, and the Jet was somewhere else too. They weren't the same team. So it is amazing what this Brooklyn Nets team has done. Adding LaMarcus Aldridge, you're adding a rebounder. I can give you the, the paint defense that they've been really needing. I don't trust Jordan as far as I'm concerned because DeAndre Jordan is a washed-up old man that I could probably run up and down the court better than. 
So he's an overpaid big man that is not the same player he once was with the Clippers. But he gives you a big body in the middle of the, the court, especially when it becomes the NBA. In the NBA in the playoffs, it becomes a half-court game, and you need size for rebounding, offensive rebounding. So what the Nets have done so far, adding Blake Griffin and adding a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge, it gives you the defining big men that you needed going into the playoffs. Who's beating the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference? Nobody. You could throw Philly at me. You could throw Boston at me. I don't care. Nobody's beating them. And if LeBron and Anthony Davis don't come back healthy for the Lakers, it's the Nets championship to win. It's that simple. Don't forget about the Utah Jazz. That's fine. If Utah plays and they're the home court team, I'd be curious with that because they actually have, I think, a full capacity that they are allowing for the Jazz. But the difference is, is this. The Nets not only got more stars on their team, but they also got depth off the bench now with Blake Griffin, with LaMarcus Aldridge. LaMarcus Aldridge adds an element to this team that's something that they needed an identity, and that's defense. He brings that defense, and he even said that. I'm here to play defense and do what I need to do to bring this team to the top. That's why he didn't sign with Miami. He signed with Brooklyn because he thought he was the missing link to what could get the Brooklyn Nets to being an NBA champion. So, I mean, we'll see that going forward with what they do. I don't see anybody beating Brooklyn right now. I really don't. I think they're the best team. I do. I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are the best team. I still think they have weaknesses on their bench. But all in all, they've looked really, really good. It's a regular season. There are a lot of good teams in the regular season. They're not playoff teams. I don't know if the Brooklyn Nets are built for the playoffs. Kevin Durant, he hasn't played in the last couple of weeks. We don't know when Kevin Durant is coming back, if he comes back. So, again, if they don't have Kevin Durant... You could kiss their championship goodbye. And then next year, you've got to overpay James Harden. You're going to have to decide what you're doing with Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie is a good point guard. Oh, he won't be there. No, he won't be there. So what are you going to do? You should have traded him at the trade deadline and gotten something for him. You're not going to be able to re-sign him with the, after the ACL injury. So there's so many questions that the Nets are going to have to answer moving forward. The question is, when Kevin Durant comes back, are they going to share the ball on the perimeter? Who's going to be the first option? Who's going to be the second option? Who's going to be the third option? And do you trust Kyrie Irving in the playoffs not to hog the ball and do the right thing? Because it didn't work with the Boston Celtics when he was there. And now with the extensive amount of talent that they have right now with the Brooklyn Nets, he's not the number one option anymore. He's not even the number two option. He's the number three option. So these are questions that the Brooklyn Nets need to answer moving forward this season, Josh. You brought up James Harden's playoff ability, and look, it lacked thereof. That's always been the downfall for him, right? He could play in the regular season. It's the, it's, it's the playoffs. It's just so weird, though. I actually feel like Kevin Durant could come back and be that third guy for them and just share the ball. Kevin Durant's going to be that guy. He's going to say, okay, James Harden's hot. They're going to guard him. Kyrie Irving's going to hog the ball all the time. Fine. It is what it is. But I feel like out of all the three guys, I feel like Durant kind of has the most sense in his head that he can let this happen and make it work. What you also can do, too, is you can move Joe Harris to the bench now. That's more depth off the bench. I think the Brooklyn Nets are going to be fine. I, I get what you mean. There's only one ball, and there's three guys that need the ball in their hands. But at the same time... Look, teams like this always make it work. Bosch, LeBron, and Wade made it work in Miami. These things happen. They fall into place. Look at the Spurs. Parker, Ginobili, Duncan, and Kawhi they had. They made it work. It, all These things always find a way to make itself work out. Once they got Aldridge, which I was surprised at that. I thought Miami was going to get him. There was no discussion anymore who the best team in the Eastern Conference was. There's nobody that can compete with them. Well, right now, the Brooklyn Nets are the best team in the Eastern Conference. But when the playoffs start and when the, play, when the lights start to go on, 
are these players going to show up? James Harden hasn't shown up over the years. Kyrie Irving is a good all-around playoff player. Kevin Durant is a good all-around player. But you can't player. tell me all three guys are going to struggle in like a game. Blake you, you Griffin's know. not a good playoff player. No, no. Marcus Aldridge, the last couple of years with the San Antonio Spurs, has not been a good but playoff you can't, player either. You can't sit there and tell me that in a playoff game. You think Durant, Kyrie, and Harden are you all going to struggle in one game. Even somebody's going to get hot. Even if you have Durant and Kyrie Irving playing very, very well, if the other players aren't playing well, you're not going to win against the, the better offensive teams in the Eastern Conference. Philadelphia is still a good offensive team. They're a good all-around defensive team. When the NBA playoffs start, it becomes a half-court game. It becomes a defensive-minded game. And the Brooklyn Nets are the worst defensive team in the NBA. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into March Madness. The Final Four is here. I'm going to tell you why. The Baylor, yes. Baylor Bears. I, I call them the Baylor... Uh, the Baylor Bears. The Baylor Bulldogs, okay? Bulldogs. I'm going to call them the Baylor Bulldogs because <laughs> they're bullying everybody right now in the NCAA tournament, the March Madness tournament. When we come back, I'm going to tell you why the Baylor Bulldogs are going to win the national championship here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Joshua Silverberg. And the producer on the board is the great and crazy Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Guys, Go check out our app. We have a beautiful app for all the fans to check out. We have great articles, great writers throughout the country that write for us. We have a great lineup of shows live throughout the week. If you guys love this show, you will love some of the shows that we have. We have debating shows. We have basketball shows. We have hockey shows. We have football shows. And we also have wrestling shows on our network. So if you like the WWE, NXT Definitely check out some of the, uh, the lineups that we have. Guys, check out our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I know everybody in their mother plays the bracket. March Madness. I think people that know nothing about college basketball has played March Madness, played a bracket one way or another because you can win a lot of money. But who would have thought that the UCLA Bruins were going to make the final four. Speedy, I know you're a big March Madness guy. What did you think about UCLA just running right over every single opponent they've had in this tournament and now where they're going right now to the final four? They can win a national championship. Yeah, they've, they've won it in so many different ways too. It's not just one offense, one defense identity. It's a lot of different things that they've done. They beat Michigan with their defense. They beat Alabama with their offense in that overtime thriller. So they're doing a lot of different things to win in different ways. They're winning close games. They can win with comebacks. And Mick Cronin, I think, has more tournament wins than he's ever had with Cincinnati, which says a lot about him changing his coaching style and making that work, too. UCLA, who had to play a playing game, remember to do that against Michigan State, came back in that game, has been very impressive. The Pac-12 as a whole has been very impressive, and it's showing a lot with UCLA in the Final Four and five other teams in Sweet 16. And my team, the Baylor Bears, but I call them the Baylor Bulldogs because they've been bullying every single team they've played against in this tournament. I picked them in the beginning. I did pick Iowa to play them in the national championship. Iowa got knocked off in the second round, but I knew that Baylor was my team 
going right through, and I, I still think they're the team to beat. Gonzaga's a very dangerous team. They're big, they're strong, they can rebound, they can do all the things that you would look for a national championship team to do going into the Final Four. But the question is, is Gonzaga a good shooting team against some of these better shooting teams? It's probably going to be Gonzaga versus Baylor in the national championship. Two number one teams, two teams that a lot of people thought were going to win the national championship. Gonzaga is a team that I've been following throughout the season. There are certain things that I look at Gonzaga. They get into trouble as far as offense is concerned in the later quarters. They have problems shooting three-point shots. They have problems getting to the hole. So I think at the big picture and really where the Baylor Bears are, where do you see the national championship going? Yeah, I agree with you at this point. I was skeptical of Gonzaga and Baylor at the start of the tournament because of all the pressure that they had on them because it was supposed to be the obvious, obvious finals. But in terms of what they've done, they've overcome everything. Baylor played a great game against Arkansas. I told you during that game they should have won by something like 20. That's how well they played against Arkansas. Gonzaga overcame something that I didn't know if they over, could overcome because USC was a fast-starting team, and they overcame that too, and they played well the whole game. Gonzaga will be challenged, though, in the second half if they had to play a close game. The only time they've had to do that so far is against BYU in the conference finals and against Iowa early in the regular season. So we'll see if they're ready for that. All right, Josh. Uh, what, do you, what do you think right now with going into the Final Four? Who do you got and why do you have them? Well, right now, I mean, look, what is the matchup? It's Gonzaga, UCLA, and then what's the other one? Baylor's Baylor facing? versus Houston. Houston. That's an interesting one to me. Because, no, it's not. You know, why? Baylor's going to run uh, Houston over. Houston has so many problems offensively throughout the tournament. In the second quarter, they fall off. They can't get timely shooting. The fact that they're in the Final Four is pretty damn amazing because, to I, me, I didn't think they were going to make the Final Four. They had so many problems earlier in the rounds, scoring and putting points in the hole. So. I'm surprised UCLA's even in the Final Four. That's another one. But look, Good I mean, all-around yeah, defensive I mean, team. That, Defense exactly wins championships. And then that's what it comes down to, right? So that's going to be interesting thing is, can Gonzaga be that team that they've been all year defensively and offensively against this UCLA team who has basically they have nothing to lose here, right? They're on this magical run. I still think it's going to be Gonzaga and Baylor. Baylor has surprised me because the thing is, all year their defensive inconsistency showed up a lot this year, and all of a sudden in this tournament, they've become the best defensive team in the league, mm-hmm. and it was ridiculous how this just unfolded. They became um, what their team used to be. That is exactly. Defense, they, were, yeah. they, were, they were strictly, all year they were offense, not a lot of defense. All of a sudden now, all of a sudden defense just comes up when the tournament starts. I definitely, look, I think it's going to be Gonzaga-Baylor. I want to see Gonzaga just win one because I like the coach for Gonzaga. I think he deserves it. I think he deserves a shot at winning it. This is, plus you get that undefeated team. He's won a national championship, their coach. No, I don't think he, he? No, he? no, he's never won one. No. I thought he won a national championship. No, he's been to one. They lost to North Carolina. North Carolina, North Carolina I remember yes. that. They've come close. But again, I think, God, that would be a great matchup, wouldn't it? The two all-around best teams in possibly all year. I mean, they were pretty much, when you look early in the season, it was 1-2 all year was Gonzaga and Baylor. They were 1-2 for the entire year. So to basically have the entire the best two teams in all of college basketball be in the Final Four, would be, I guess, as they say, poetic justice in this whole tournament. Yeah, Baylor was only knocked out of that two spot after they lost their first game. That's how good they were for a long time. Well, they beat the snot of my Badgers. I mean, that was they just overwhelmed them. I mean, yes, it was crazy did. how That's well. That's because your Badgers are a terrible organization, a, pe- a terrible college. 
I hate the Wisconsin Badgers. You can't say that because they're literally. <laughs> I hate them. They're literally the 19th I best hate school in the country. So how are they a terrible college? I don't care. I can't stand the team. I can't stand their football team. I couldn't stand their basketball team. As everybody knows, if you listen to my show, I'm a Duke Blue Devil fan who didn't even make more did, people didn't make hate Mark Duke than they do Wisconsin. That's I fine. I can tell you that right now. That's fine. <laughs> and there, there are more. And there are more teams that love Duke than they like of Wisconsin. So, well, yeah, well, well, okay. Why? Because you don't like Duke. Is that what it is? I hate Duke and North Carolina. Well, that figures. <laughs> But I think that this national championship game is going to be very interesting because the last time we seen the battle of the two number ones was who? It was recently, didn't we see? It was North Carolina and Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Yeah. So this is, the, this is the second time it's happened in over 20 years. Usually it doesn't happen a lot. Two number one teams don't usually play against one another in the national championships. So I want to see Gonzaga versus Baylor. I think Baylor's the better all-around team. They play the zone defense, the 2-3 zone defense, but... I think that Beheim's uh, defense, by the way, which Beheim's defense has proven that they, it wins. Syracuse went all the way to the, the, the Sweet 16. Houston, where I look at Houston, what's been amazing with Houston in this tournament is, even though they've had deficiencies offensively in the second quarter, in the second half of the game, they still find a way to win. They play very good defensive game. They're a very big team. And when they do shoot well, they're a very good three-point shooting team. So that's why it scares me going into this game against Baylor because if... Houston gets hot early, and Baylor falls behind. Baylor's always, in this tournament, has always gotten early leads. They've played very well with the lead. Have they played well when they haven't had the lead? That's the question. That's what I want to see. Yeah, the Villanova game's the only one they didn't really have an early lead. That was mainly a back-and-forth game until halftime. I think they were up at halftime, but it wasn't by much. The Arkansas game, they got out to a huge lead. The Wisconsin game, as Josh knows, they got out to a pretty big lead at the beginning yeah. of that game. So, defense. yeah, that, yeah the de- that's definitely a big factor. Houston has been more of a second-half team, though, in this tournament. And granted, they have struggled a lot with those first halves because of that, almost losing to Rutgers. Oregon State almost came back on them, and they've had their instances. So they need to get better shooting free throws, and they need to find a second option that's more consistent outside of Quentin Grimes, who's a very good first option. What they need is a good coach like me coaching their team. That's what they need. That's true. Calvin Sampson has been skeptical. They need me. They need to hire me. They hire me for one or two games. I'll yell at the players, push the players, and get them playing. Hard-nosed basketball because to me, when I look at college basketball, some of these players are going to be in the NBA and some of these players need to be put in their place. And I think being that some of these guys and a lot of these number one picks, these top ten draft picks, they fall out very, very early in the the March Madness tournament because they're either on weak teams or on teams where they depend on them more than the other players on the team. Basketball is a team game. And in the NBA, it's, it's a really a one- or two-player game. So in college basketball, all the great teams, all the good teams that have won national championships were great all-around teams More with great too. players. Mm-hmm. So I think that when you look at the Baylor Bears, a team that is expected to win, they were supposed to win the national championship last year. All their players came back to try to win a championship this year. They have the best chance in a very, very long time. When was the last time they won a national championship? It was, they made the Final Four for the first time since 1951, so it was before that. I don't even think they won a national championship. They might not have. So, this is a good chance for the Bears to really show why they're a very, very good college and a very, very good college basketball organization. So, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, talking some hockey, some Islander and Ranger conversation here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Harold Marks, my co-host, Joshua Silverberg. 
and in the production seat, as always, Mr. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, ladies and gentlemen, WWSRN or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Guys, we're going to have trivia question games that you're going to be able to win. Autograph jerseys throughout the weeks. Autograph memorabilia on our network. Tickets to baseball games, hockey games, basketball games, football games. So join us. Check out our app. Check out our website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. We have great shows throughout the country and and a great amount of different articles written by all different talented writers throughout the country as well. I do want to get into some hockey. And the New York Islanders right now have been playing sensational hockey. They really have. And you can argue your points on where the Islanders are going to be moving forward. There's still, I think, 19 games left of the season. And the Islanders right now have 50 points. They have 23 wins, 10 losses, and 4 ties. And they're playing good hockey. They're two points behind Washington right now in the new Mass Mutual East, which I have no idea why they call it. It's really the Metropolitan Division. I don't know why they changed the names of these, these damn divisions. But uh, the Islanders have been playing very, very good hockey. And, and there's something about Barry Trotz that people are starting to understand who he is as a coach and what he pitches to his players. He pitches defense. He pitches defense. He pitches defense. And that's what this team is all about. You look at guys like Matthew Barzell. You look at Brock Nelson and all the different players that they've brought up over the last couple of years and how quick they have developed under a guy like Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz has been really a lifesaver to this organization. And and Lou Lamorello, he's been strapped right now in free agency. He doesn't have the money to go after another superstar player. I know a lot of... Islander fans wanted Mike Hoffman in the offseason. He winded up going to St. Louis. And I think where you look at the Islanders as a team, they need that other guy. Matthew Barzell is a young superstar right in front of our eyes. John Tavares left. He fleed. He went over there to the Maple Leafs. He hasn't done anything over there in Toronto. Toronto has done nothing since John Tavares has been there, except losing the playoffs in the first round. So I, I think where the Islanders have a lack of, they have a lack of offense in particular times of the game where they need that superstar, they need that sniper, where it's going to help pressure come off of the Matthew Barzells of the world or the Barack Nelsons or even Pajot. I think where the Islanders are now moving this year, they're expected to win. They're expected to make the playoffs and they're expected to be an NHL Stanley Cup contender. The question is, are the Islanders good enough all around from, from top to bottom? And the answer is, if, if Sorokin is the goaltender that we have seen so far since he's come up as an Islander, since the Islanders brought him in and signed him from the KHL, if he is the player that people believe he's going to be, well, then they have that superstar, that great player that they can build their team around. And I'm not saying Matthew Barzell isn't the guy, but Matthew Barzell isn't that guy that you can depend on game in and game out. A goaltender, goaltending means everything in the playoffs. And I think Sorokin... Uh, since he's come to the New York Islanders, I think he's 9-3 and three as a starting goaltender. I think he has a 2.04 goals against average. His save percentage, I think, is 9.26. He's been one of the best goalies in the league in the 12 games that he's played this year. So, Josh, you look at the Islanders right now and what they have done so far, and being that they're only two points behind the Washington Capitals, where do you see the Islanders going in the playoffs? I mean, I think the Islanders are right there. I still think they need that secondary offensive weapon, of course, like the Kyle Palmieri or the Taylor Hall. I think they're going to go more towards Kyle Palmieri. He'll be the cheaper 
alternative towards what Buffalo might want for Taylor Hall. And I think Paul Mariachi would fit better for the Islanders anyway. Um, I agree with you on Sorokin. I think he and, look, I mean, everybody was talking about when, when Sorokin and Shesterkin were going to come over here to Ru- from Russia, that they were going to take the league by storm. Shesterkin did it last year. Sorokin's doing it this year. I mean, it's just, and the cool thing is, is that they both like competition levels. I think Sorokin is legit. I do. I think he's a guy that you can lean on. Barry Trotz, to me, is the best coach in the NHL. I, 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 I think he is. I think he has shown that. He preaches defense. The problem is, again, though, if they don't get that secondary offensive weapon, it's going to hinder them in the playoffs. Well, Pacho has been sensational. Yes, he has. He has 11 goals this year, 12 assists, 23 points. He's everything you wanted, giving up a first round and a second round pick last year where everybody was complaining that they didn't have a first and second round draft pick. So Pacho has been everything the Islanders were looking for and more as a starting center in the second, on the second line. I agree with you. The only other thing is, too, is that you have to look at it this way in the sense of, you're not playing other divisions this year, so you don't get a chance to play Tampa. You don't get a chance to play Carolina. When you play those teams, you can then look back on it and say, okay, what do we need after we played this game? What is it that we need to get to beat Tampa or to beat Carolina? You don't get to see them now to the conference finals. And so you're not going to know. And let's face it, Tampa's still being Tampa. They're going to get Kucherov back for the playoffs, which is insane how well and shows how much depth that Tampa has. Carolina's always a pest in the playoffs. Brendan Moore is such an underrated head coach. And you have Peter Lafayette right then, now with uh, Washington. The, you the got Washington Peter Lafayette with Washington, and then you got Quinville even in Florida. I mean, uh, you hope for... Ek- I don't trust the Florida Panthers. I, I, I just don't know with Ekblad's injury, that might be the killer with the Ekblad injury. That might have just deteriorated their hopes of kind of getting to where they wanted to go. But look, the Islanders have a... It, 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 they're in a tough battle with teams like Tampa, Carolina, and Washington. They're in that mix. They're right there as a cup contender. It's just a matter of they need that secondary option for Barzell to get them over the top because remember last year you saw it in the, at, when they played Tampa when you have to go toe-to-toe in scoring it's tougher to play a team like Tampa because they have the offensive firepower to just come at you what helps the Islanders though is their defense and their goaltending that's going to keep them in games and Volamov played very very well for the New York Islanders last year all the way through the playoffs Volamov was the reason why the Islanders made the Eastern Conference Championship but Volamov isn't the guy. They brought Sorokin up. They brought him from the KHL because they expect him to be that superstar goaltender that everybody thought he was going to be when they drafted him a couple of years ago in the third round. And I, I think when you look at what Gartsnow has done, even though he's no longer the GM of the organization, he did very, very well in the drafts. Bringing in Sorokin was a steal. And a lot of people think he's the next big superstar goaltender. And then you made that trade up to get Matthew Barzell. I think there was a lot of ifs and and questions on what he did with the whole John Tavares thing. And that's why John Tavares isn't here. Am I going to cry that John Tavares isn't here with the Islanders? I'm not. Because John Tavares hasn't won anything. He hasn't gone anywhere. And he's probably not going anywhere with Toronto. But it's pretty amazing what this team was three years ago and what they are now. They went from one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL to one of the best defensive teams in the NHL. And last year, we were ranked number one in practically all defensive numbers. So it's pretty amazing. And right now, this year, they're ranked third. So the Islanders are playing as good a hockey as any team in the NHL. And the question is, trade deadline is right around the corner. What do the Islanders do? What do they trade that could solidify them for a winger that they need? Oliver Walsham has played sensational. You can't argue the point that Oliver Washam hasn't been the player that they thought he was going to be a couple of years ago drafted. I was there at the draft when they drafted him in Dallas. And uh, nice kid. And, and Noah Dobson looks like he's going to be a star in this league as well. They have some good young prospects, but they need that other guy. They need that Mike Hoffman. They need that 
guy in the Panarin that can put the puck in the net at will once you get into the offensive zone. And the Islanders have had problems scoring on the power play because they don't have that sniper, that wing sniper. So there's so many ifs with the Islanders, but the trade deadline was a week and a half away, and the Islanders need to solidify this team moving forward, and they can't depend on their centers to put the puck in the net every single game, game in and game out. Now, as far as the Rangers are concerned, in perception of what the Rangers are right now going into the rest of the season, the Rangers are not a playoff team. They have their goaltender, Sturkin, a guy that played very, very well in the beginning of the season last year before the car accident that he had. He didn't play in the playoffs, which definitely affected the Rangers in the playoffs against the Carolina Hurricanes. I think looking at them right now and the injuries that the Rangers have fought, it definitely has affected the Rangers' growth. But some of their players are not really producing. And, and that's the big problem. And the Rangers' weak part of their defense. Now, the Rangers this year have played better defensively in the Quinn defense. The Quinn's defense over the last couple of years has been horrible. But uh, some of the young players, Fox has really produced this year. He's looked very, very good. There are players that have shown up week in and week out. But then again, uh, the injuries have affected them. And, and it took a while for some of these players to really figure things out. Uh, Zabitajad, it took him weeks. I mean, with the whole COVID policy, he missed the off-season practices, I think that affected Zabitajad in the beginning of the season. Now he's one of the hottest players in the NHL, and he's playing good hockey right now. So, Josh, you're a, you're a hockey fan, and you're a Ranger fan. Where the Rangers are right now, obviously they're not in playoff contention. They're not making the playoffs. They're 13 games out of a playoff spot, and I, I just don't see them making the playoffs. But what do the Rangers need to do at the trade deadline? What do the Rangers have to do moving forward to make this team an automatic playoff team? Well, I believe they're only... If I want to say for the fourth seed in the East, they're only four or five points behind. So they're not totally... Right now they're three. They're, they're three points out. So they're not totally out of the playoffs yet. The problem is, is and you're seeing it too now, I'll say, now Kako is starting to play much better now. You're seeing a isn't the first him. Isn't the first three teams first now? First Oh, it's first four? I thought it was the first three. No, it's first four. These rules with the COVID-19, these rules don't make any sense. With the the NBA, the NFL this year, with the the adding the game and and the playoff rules with the extra team, I I, I don't like how everything is getting moved, including MLB, what the MLB is doing right now, extra innings. You put a guy automatically at second base, which affects the game. It doesn't make any sense. Baseball has been around for hundreds of years. Why are they changing the rules? I don't like it, but go ahead, Josh. But I was going to say before is that even with Kako, he's starting to play better. The only problem is, is guys like Lafreniere and Kako and those guys, the issue is that David Quinn is not giving them the minutes that they need, and he's putting them on the third and fourth line, and it's unacceptable. You can, you're trying to develop something. I understand Quinn is here. He's trying to win games because his job is on the line, which it very much is on the line. Because John Davidson has no allegiance to David Quinn. He didn't hire him. He came in here, and I think when there's a new coach that's going to come in, I think eventually, unless they, I mean, look, if they make the playoffs, Quinn will be here next year. I think you can't get rid of him. Quinn's gone no matter what. I hope you're right. I think David Quinn hinders a lot. Look, getting Jacques Martin was a huge thing for them. I think bringing him over for defense has been just a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal high. They're top 10 in defense now. Their penalty kill is top five in the league. You're seeing an improvement on their defense. It took guys a while to get going, like Zibanejad and and these guys because of the um, the issues with COVID. So Kreider's having a really good season. Kreider's looked the best. Besides Zibanejad in the last couple of weeks, and I, I know a lot of fans, Panera missed a significant amount of time because of the craziness of what was going on uh, behind closed doors with him. But Panarin hasn't looked good this year either. I thought Panarin was going to be a lot better. He's been okay now. Yeah, but he's he's not the, the MVP candidate he was last year. Well, of course not, but th- that's the thing. He missed ha- he missed three weeks of games. I mean, so that's why when you do something like that, you're missing time. you got to make up for it too. And you also have to take another week. He has nine goals this year yeah. in 25 games. That's I mean, not a lot. Well, last he, year, in 25 games, I think he had almost 20 goals. Well, again, when you miss a month, that takes off your total. And plus, I mean, you're trying to get 
right back into game shape. He's having tough times this year, but when you miss a month of hockey games, your numbers aren't going to be as good. It's just the facts. Could you believe that Ryan Strom is the leading Ranger points guy? Well, you, could you believe that Ryan Strom? When you're on a line with Kako and Panarin, I guess that kind of helps. I, I, <laughs> I mean, Ryan Strom right now is having an all-star year. 36 games, 11 goals, 23 assists, 34 points. He leads the Rangers in all points. When you, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, when you're on a line with Panarin and, and Kako, it, still, it, still, it helps. Still, even with those guys, you have to produce. you got to still put the puck in the net. You still have to play good hey, he's hockey. Well. I think he's the guy they could look at, at the trade deadline to drop, I think. Who, just, Ryan? Strom. They're not yeah. trading Strom. They should. They're, why should they? Because they, they just ask. signed him. He's, he's having a career two, year right now. to a two-year deal. It was a minimum amount of salary they're So why him. would you trade him? He has 11 goals and 23 assists. Draft stock. They're not going You're anywhere You're not getting a first-round draft no, pick for Ryan Strom. No, they're not. They get a second-round pick for him. Nah, uh, you'll get a third-round pick for Ryan Strom. Uh, have you ever seen trade deadline packages? Yeah, well, you're not going to yeah. get that in this trade deadline. Well, you never know. If so, and look, Brandon Lemieux. Brandon Lemieux got a third-round pick. That should have not happened at all. Brandon Lemieux was not even that good of a player. I know. And he got a third-round pick. So if he got a third-round pick, you'll think you'll get a late first-round pick tomorrow. Well, I, I think that when you look at both New York teams, I, I didn't even know how close the Rangers were because I didn't know it was four teams. They keep changing the rules with yeah, the teams. NHL, the NBA, the NFL. Points. Next thing you'll know it, they'll, they'll be playing golf on top of houses. <laughs> Every single time we see something changing with these professional leagues. If it's not COVID-19, it's something else. They want to change the rules because the game's too slow or something like that. But like I said, the next thing you know, it, we're going to see professional golfers hitting off of houses and trying to drive balls off the houses because it, it's, it doesn't fit the golf course. So again, it's just absolutely crazy. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? The <laughs> Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Joshua Silverberg. And on the board, as always, Mr. Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is WWSRN. Yes, it's WWSRN, as in Nancy or go to Android, the Play Store, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have great articles. Our shows are live throughout the week. You'll love the shows. We give away. We have giveaways. We do, we do so many giveaways throughout the week. We have a trivia contest on our website every single week. We have a chance to win autographed jerseys, real, authentic basketball, football, baseball jerseys, tickets. So listen to our network. Listen to our shows. We have a great, great lineup of shows throughout the country. Now, Speedy, what are we getting into? Debate wars. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. We're going to start with a general one here. Who is the most dysfunctional franchise in sports right now? I'll go Dallas Cowboys for me. I think because they have no idea which way is up and down at times. They don't. You know, they spend all this money. No, I don't even know who's running the team anymore. Is it Jerry? Is it Steven? And they, they do the most wonky things in regards to how they want to go about the way they run the team. They, Jerry Jones still thinks this is 30 years ago. It's not. So to me, they always talk about, you know, their America's team, but what has America's team done in the last 30-plus years? So I'm going to go with the Dallas Cowboys. Well, there's a lot of dysfunctional teams here in New York, and uh, obviously they're not dysfunctional anymore. I would say the New York Jets, and I'm a Jet fan, so 
all the Jet fans out there, I'm not taking shots at the Jets because the Jets over the last couple of years, they've just been a dysfunctional organization. It doesn't matter who the GM is. It doesn't matter who the coach is. They're dysfunctional. So when you look at some of the players, look at the quarterback position right now. They have a quarterback they drafted three years. Everybody wanted to suck for Sam. Everybody wanted Sam Donald. Somehow Sam Donald fell to them as the third pick, and everybody was so excited and so happy because he's had seasons of injury over the last couple of years. Everybody wants to get rid of him. So my dysfunctional team right now in professional sports is the New York Jets. Who is a better tight end at his peak? Rob Gronkowski or Jimmy Graham? Gronkowski. I mean, because he made more of a statement in what he did. I know I was probably going to say Jimmy G. But in my opinion, look at what Gronkowski did the championship season. One, what he did for Brady and all those guys. He was the go-to guy for Tom for many, many years. So to me, you look at the accolades. I think he's actually helped solidify what the tight end position is today. So I'm going to go Rob Gronkowski. I think a lot of people blow up Rob Gronkowski. Because if you look at his numbers, and I've, that's my argument. When you're trying to compare and contrast, Rob Gronkowski is not even in my top seven, top eight tight ends of all time. Uh, you look at guys like Tony Gonzalez. He's by far oh, a better tight yeah. end than Gronkowski. You, you go up and down some of the rosters and what we've seen over the last couple of years. There are better tight ends in the NFL. But you look at Rob. Rob played in 131 games. He has 566 receptions, 8,484 yards, and he has 86 touchdowns. To Jimmy Grimm, and I remember when Speedy said, Gronkowski is for sure a Hall of Famer. Well, Jimmy Graham has 169 games he played, 699 receptions, 8,339 yards, and 82 touchdowns. They almost have identical numbers. Gronkowski was a part of those championship teams. Gronkowski didn't win those championships. If Jimmy Graham played on those championship teams, he would have been a part of those championship teams. So again, you look at Jimmy Graham and what Jimmy Graham has done. Jimmy Graham, silently and unbelievably, has been one of the best tight ends in football in the last seven years. So I'm going to go with Jimmy Graham because of how quiet he has been over the last couple of years. He doesn't talk. He doesn't go on TV shows. He doesn't really do anything. He goes and he plays the game. So I'm going to say Jimmy Graham. Better pitcher, Kurt Schilling or Tom Glavin? I got to go with Schilling. I, the only reason why I'm going to go with Schilling is because of what he was able to do. I can't stand the guy. I think he's really something else. But I think what Schilling did in the playoffs and what he had done, he helped put the Diamondbacks over the top. He helped put the Red Sox over the top. Glavin was fortunate to be in a rotation of Greg Maddox and, and John Smoltz. Not saying that Glavin isn't a Hall of Fame player. I mean, look, he is. But to me, Schilling was so big for, in the postseason, so I'm going to go for Schilling. Here's the numbers of Tom Glavin, what makes him so outstanding. Tom Glavin's war is 80.7. That's very high. He has three over 300 wins. We'll probably never see another pitcher win 300 wins in Major League history. He's 300, 305 and 203. His ERA is 3.54. And he played in 682 games. And his whip was 1.314. 1.3. His whole career. Tom Glavin, to me, he won a championship as much as Kurt Schilling did. Kurt Schilling won two championships. Tom Glavin won one. Well, he won three, Kurt Schilling. But Kurt Schilling, again, he was a part of great teams. Tom Glavin was part of great teams. Tom Glavin was the second guy. John Smoltz was the third yes. guy. So I think it was Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin was, when you look at what he did, a lot of pitchers look up to guys like Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox and, and the different pitchers in the 80s and the 90s. Tom Glavin did something that a lot of other pitchers didn't do. He went to another National League East team and played very, very well for those National League team East. And that's the Mets. He played very well for the four or five years he was with the New York Mets. So I'm going to go with Tom Glavin. He was more consistent than Kurt Schilling. 
And Kurt Schilling, he never had 300 wins. Kurt Schilling won championships. Yes, he did. He was part of those good Arizona Diamondback teams. Look at who he pitched with. And look, what, look at the players he played with. And then he went to the Boston Red Sox. How many teams were better than the Boston Red Sox besides the Yankees in their division? I, I'm going to go with Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin was the better pitcher. All right, better center. Jonathan Taze or Anze Kopitar? Jonathan Taze or Anze Kopitar? I'm going to go... No, it's not. Why? Say yours first, then. I think it's Kopitar. Uh, Kopitar, what he's done with the L.A. Kings, and really solidified what he, what he is as a player. Remember, he comes from overseas, and, and you look at the different type of players. When you're trying to compare and contrast the players in the league in the last 10, 12 years offensively, how many players could you say is better than Kopitar? Jonathan Thames has fallen off. Ever yes, since he, he came into the league for the and first he, five years, Jonathan Thames has been a good player his first five or six years. He was one of the best captains in the NHL. Then all of a sudden, after they won their three championships, he's completely disappeared. He's not even the best player. He's not even the second best player of his team. So I'm going to say Kopitar. Kopitar's still a good player. He's a prolific scorer. He's a 30-goal scorer. He still gets his 30, 40 assists. He's the, one of the best overall offensive players in the league. I'm going to go with Kopitar. So for me, I was actually going to say Kopitar as well. And the reason being is because I think with Jonathan Taze, he also had to lean on Patrick Kane, which is helpful. Kopitar had nice players around him. The thing is, he never had the guy at the stature that is a Patrick Kane. And Kopitar also won championships too with the Kings, and he's still doing it at a very consistent level. So for me, you know, I look at it as this. I think Kopitar is the better all-around player as well. Over Taze, Taze has completely fallen off. So I'll go with Kopitar. All right, one more. Better guard, Deron Williams or Stefan Marbury? <laughs> oh, go ahead. We can't say neither one of them. I'm going to go with Starberry. And I'll go with Starberry because, look, there were times when he was on those, those Phoenix teams. and he, I think it was Minnesota, too, wasn't he? Minnesota, he was good. He was drafted. Well, he was drafted by Milwaukee and then traded uh, for Ray Allen. It was a, a flip-flop. So, Stefan Marbury was drafted by Milwaukee. Ray Allen was drafted by Minnesota, and then they flip-flopped and they traded from, from one another. So I'll go with Marbury. Look, he was terrible with the Knicks. We all know what happened with the Knicks. It was a disaster. It, got, it, it, it went to his head. He was even good with the Nets, too. So I'll go with Marbury. Well, Deron Williams, in the time that he was, five, six years where he was at the top of his game, he was the better all-around player. Deron Williams on Utah, he was sensational. He, he, he was that player. Until he went to the Brooklyn Nets, he completely fell off. Maybe because of the ankle problems, maybe because of the knee problems he had when he went over there. But significantly, when he was in the NBA, and he was the dominant force. Deron Williams, for six years, was an all-star. He was one of the best point guards, if not the best point guard. You can argue it was him or Chris Paul. Stephon Marbury wasn't the number one. He wasn't even the number two point guard in the league. Deron Williams was argued to be a top three point guard in the league for six years. So I'm going to go with Deron Williams because of what Deron Williams did in, in the short time that he was the dominant player. So Deron Williams it is. And that is it for the Weekend Crunch Debate Wars. Of course, I win as usual. So one of these days, we're going to have to bring a guest on here and try to argue points with me. Because this guy over here, he's no challenge to me. Come on, look at him. He's wearing a Mets jersey. He's wearing a Piazza jersey. Enough said on that. You know, I'm just kidding, by the way. Yes. Oh, you know, apparently <laughs> when I interrupt him, I get shut down. But when he interrupts me, I let it go. So. Oh, there you go. So. <laughs> there you go. But, you know, I, I think I, I've always liked Mike Piazza. I, I'm not a Mets fan, but I've always liked Mike Piazza. So. Take, take whatever you want out of that and, and understand that I'm not a Mike Piazza hater. I'm just not a huge Met fan. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, the last segment of the game and the show, Speedy Crunch Time, here on the Weekend Crunch. Ah. 
As you guys know, this is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Joshua Silverberg. And on the board, as always, Mr. Speedy Beatty. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time after the Islander game at 10, 10, 15 p.m. on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download our app, ladies and gentlemen, the World Wide Sports Radio app. If you haven't done it already, please, definitely, we have trivia games. We have great gifts that we give out. Everybody that listens to the show will have an opportunity to win free jerseys, tickets to sports games. It doesn't matter where you're from. Uh, if you're listening to the show, if you're in Cincinnati, if you're in Philadelphia, we will get you tickets if you win our trivia game. So uh, definitely stay tuned. Download our app. If you have a phone, your iPhone, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, what do we got for the last segment of the day? Crunch time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we start this week in the NBA. So Russell Westbrook had a triple-double with 21 assists in it. So buy or sell, we will see another triple-double with at least 20 assists or 20 rebounds. I'm going to buy it. I mean, if, if, look, you're going to see how creative the NBA is today. Guys are all about stats. That's what it is in the NBA. So I definitely can see that happening. There's so many good point guards, especially in this league as well, where it can happen all over the place. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it because uh, records are meant to be broken. The only record I don't think will ever be broken is Lou Gehrig's consistent the hitting streak. The hitting streak. Yeah. I don't think anybody's going to break that record. But or Cal Ripken's playing streak. No, I think somebody will. I think somebody will. I think somebody will do that. Yes, I think Cal Ripken. I think he cheated on that. Actually, the, <laughs> I do because he, when he was hurt, he was playing for what one or two innings just so he's on the books and he's on the board. Lou Gehrig played consistently three thousand games in a row. Didn't miss an in, miss an inning. I mean, you play two innings and that counts for a game. I, I'm sorry. That doesn't count for me. So I don't think that record was broken already. Future okay. one, Speedy. That's a future one right well, there. <laughs> there you go. So I do believe that's going to happen. The question is, who's it going to be? I think it's going to be a point guard because the point guard or a big man, a four, that actually passes the ball like a Jokic. I can think, I could see a Jokic doing it. He passes a lot. There are games that he gets 15, 16 assists. I can see Jokic doing it with the points that he gets, the rebounds that he gets. So if there, if there is a player that's going to do it, I'm, I'm going to say the Joker. All right. Buy or sell, one of the four Final Four teams will score less than 60 points in their game. I'm going to buy that. I think the Houston-Baylor game is a prime example. I think with Houston, like I said, we talked about earlier, their offense is so streaky and Baylor's got really good defense. So I could see that happening. So I'm going to I'm gonna buy that. I would say UCLA because I think UCLA is more of a defensive-minded team. They're an all-around good defensive team. They're not known for their offense. They've been playing very, very well offensively. They're playing a Gonzaga team that plays very good team defense. I don't know if they're going to be able to score more than 50-some-odd points in that game against Gonzaga. And if they don't, uh, even if Gonzaga scores 67 points, they're going to beat them. Because you need to score points against Gonzaga, and you need to get ahead of Gonzaga if you want to beat them. So I'm going to say if there's any team, it'll be UCLA. All right, buy or sell. The 49ers will draft somebody other than Justin Fields or Zach Wilson at their number three overall pick. Oh, I'm definitely buying that one. Well, one, Wilson's not going to be there, number one. And two, they're not even into Justin Fields. They either want Mac Jones or Trey Lance. So I'm definitely going to buy that one. That's an easy one. There's no way they're going to pass on either Lance or Jones. I'm going to buy it, too. I think it's Jones. They're out of their minds. Uh, why are they out of their minds? I mean, if they think that he fits the offense the best and he's the most accurate, he was the most accurate passer in college football. Because at least with Trey Lance, 
there's still some sort of upside with it, and Jimmy Garoppolo is still going to be there. With, with Jones, the problem is you're getting what you get with Jones. Doesn't no matter. More. You can win, if you can win with Jones, just like so, you why can, keep Garoppolo then? I, I, they're not going to. They're keeping Garoppolo for one year, and then they're going to get rid of him. Yeah, but why are you drafting Jones then? If Jones could come in and start because now, Jones is could, 23 years old and he has to figure out the offense. He has. He plays in a different style of offense right now in Alabama, I think a more defensive-minded team. So I think he needs a. You can say whatever you want. Trey Lance has only played one year, one good year of college football. That's fine, but the thing about Alabama quarterbacks, too, is this with Mac Jones. It helps when you have Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle as your wide receiver. That's fine. And, 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 Heisman year. And, he's yeah, going, really. and he's going to San Francisco, a oh, very, very good Harris, team. Yeah. So he's also going to a very good San Francisco team that runs the ball very well. So Matt jo- Mac Jones is going to play very, very well in that kind of offense. And I guarantee you he'll flourish even if he goes to San Francisco. And all the things that everybody keeps saying, oh, I can't believe they're drafting Jones. Jones will still be a good quarterback in this league in an Offense in a Kyle Shanahan, who's a quarter, he's a real quarterback. You didn't have to, you didn't have to trade up to get it, though. I'm gonna buy it. Well, we got our bonus, a little bit more bonus of debate hour. <laughs> that was interesting. All right, buy or sell. Either Yoannis Cespedes or Edwin Encarnacion will reunite with their New York team that they played for. Oh, that's a sell. I think the ship has sailed on uh, both those guys. Encarnacion in the playoffs was not great. And then, of course, the way Cespedes had ended with the Mets was a disaster. I mean, he basically came, he quit. And then that was that. So I don't think either team is going to fit. I don't think either team would want to be interested in them, period. And there shouldn't be any interest in either one of them. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I, I just don't think Ioannis Espinosa is going back to the New York Nets. And Encarnacion has been a very, very good player in this league. I think he's a borderline Hall of Famer. I mean, if you look at what his numbers are as a, as a player, consistency, one of the best hitters in baseball for almost 10 years. And you want to argue the points on who should be in the Hall of Fame and who shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I think a guy like Encarnacion is definitely a Hall of Fame. Espinosa isn't. I don't think any of those guys are going back to the teams that they play for, so I'm going to sell that. You could argue Encarnacion is probably one of the top five agents of all time yep. with his power numbers. All right, buy or sell. The Buffalo Sabres, after finally ending that long, terrible losing streak, they got their seventh win of the season. Buy or sell, they will actually get to double-digit wins in the month of April. They just don't compete against any of these teams. This is the problem, so I'm going to sell it. They're just a really bad team. And I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. There's no unfortunateness to, to it. They have a good team. They have a good yeah, offensive they have team. They have no coaching. That Jack Eichel is probably going to be gone at the trade deadline, more than likely. They're still a very, very good team. They have good players. I do believe that there's a lot of time left in April. Uh, they only have to win three games in April. I say they win three games. I'm going to buy that. All right. This is an interesting rumor I saw on NBA.com. Lou Williams thought about retiring when he was traded to the Atlanta Hawks. So buy or sell, he will retire at some point before the end of the season. I'm going to sell that. I know he said what he said, but the thing is he's from the Atlanta area. He loves being playing. with. He's been great for the Hawks so far. I think they're a borderline playoff team right now too. So therefore, if you get a guy like Lou Williams on your bench that could come in for uh, Trey Young, I think that's helpful. So I'm going to sell that. I don't think he will retire. I'm going to sell it. Lou, Lou Williams is still a good player. This guy won the six-man, what, three, four, five times? I mean, he, he's going to start. He's going to play. He's going to get the opportunity to play more than usual when he was playing for the Clippers. I think he's just a better leader, and I think he's going to lead this Atlanta Hawk team that has a lot of good players, a lot of good young players that need to be developed. I'm going to sell that. I don't think he's going to retire. I think Lou Williams still has another two, three really good years left in him, so... I'm going to sell that. Buy or sell. Kyle Pitts will now be drafted in the top five after his very impressive pro day. I think Atlanta would be the only team that would do it. I don't think Cincinnati would do it. I think they would take Sewell instead. I mean, I'm going to sell it. I I think Atlanta's going to go quarterback. 
And then I think Cincinnati will draft Sewell. And then, and then of course, you're going to go one, two, three, are going to be quarterback. So I'm going to sell that. Not a chance in hell. I don't care how good Pitts is. He's a tight end. I'm not drafting a tight end in the top five. Not with the quarterbacks that are going to be picked. One, two, three, four. I think Atlanta's going to draft a quarterback, too. I think Justin Fields, if, if Jones goes three, Fields goes four. And, and, and obviously, Cincinnati's going to draft the offensive lineman, the Sewell kid. So you're going to see four quarterbacks go one, two, three, four, and then you're going to have an offensive lineman. Unless they take Chase. They're not. Where Burrow might push that. Chase is probably going to go to the Miami Dolphins at six. So Lamar Chase is going. And as much as Smith makes sense going to play with Tua over there in Miami, it's not going to happen. I think Jamar Chase is the best wide receiver in this draft class. So I'm going to sell that. All right. Buy or sell. One more. We will see a second-half buzzer beater that ties or wins the game in the final four. And actually, it's happened more recently a lot. So I'll buy it because this has just been a fluky year. Why not have it happen? And you know what? It wouldn't even shock me if UCLA did it against Gonzaga. Why not do it that way? Because you know Gonzaga always has tough losses. So I'm going to buy that one. I don't think any of any of these games are going to be very, very close. I think Gonzaga is going to flat out wipe the floor with UCLA. And I think Baylor is going to wipe the floor with Houston. I don't think Houston offensively in the second half has really shown up. I don't see them showing up in this game. I think Baylor's a, a very good, a lot better dominant defensive team than anybody thinks that they are. They're more defensive-minded than they are offensive-minded. They just don't show it in the last two years. They've been putting out the offensive game that they've been putting out. So I am going to sell that. I don't think there's going to be a game-winning shot or a buzzer beater from any of these games. Josh, I, I understand where you're coming from. That stat, also, unfortunately, was rigged by my second least favorite team in Virginia doing it three times. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it always happens. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it for our show. We were very, very happy to be here. All the people around the country listening to our show on 103.9, very, very happy to be here. And uh, a shout out to all the Islander fans. Hopefully the Islanders win tonight against Philadelphia. The show will be played right after the Islander game tonight on 103.9 FM. So if you guys want to check it out, uh, definitely check it out on 103.9 that's it for our show. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm tired as hell. But uh, I'm happy to be here. Download the app, the Worldwide Sports Radio app. Go into iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Check out our website. We have a beautiful website. You can win prizes. Win prizes. We have jerseys and tickets to win and memorabilia to win on our trivia contest games on our website, which is starting this month. Go to our website, WorldWideSportsRadio.com. That's it. We will be back next week on 103.9. Check out all our shows. We have a new show this week starting, the Sports Loudmouths. It's going to be a fun show. Check it out every Wednesday nights and Thursday nights. You can go to our app. You can go to all the different parts, the Facebooks. Just download the app. You can follow us on all our social medias. We're right there. It's very easy to use, and and that's why we made it for all the fans to check us out. That's it for our show. We will talk to you then. Good night, everybody.